Well, good morning. I thought I would begin the service sermon today with a confession. And um, my confession is, is that I have been watching the England games during the World Cup. Um, and not only that, I've also been supporting England. So there you go. And um, I'm quite looking forward to finding the score after the evening service this evening um, when we beat Senegal, of course. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed in the last few tournaments of the, when England have been playing is that they've definitely been instructed to really go at it with the national anthem. I remember in the past when you would watch the camera panning over the players and they would be standing there really just boldly but not singing um, and then now you notice that they're really bellowing it out and you can't help but listen and think oh I would quite like to join in um, and then you might begin joining in your head and I don't know if any of you have found that this time round that when you started then joining in it's God save our gracious quick king and you can imagine it with the footballers that 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 having to go through that change for them of changing from singing for the queen to singing for the king and whenever they sung the national anthem I've always wondered what would it be like for the crowds that are there watching this because it's actually quite different to a lot of the other anthems a lot of the other anthems are singing for the country for the well-being of the country rather than for a specific monarchy within that country and across the world, there is a big obsession with our monarchy within the UK. We would often find that there are so many people across the world that probably know more about the monarchy than what we know ourselves. Certainly people come from afar and they'll come to London and they'll take all of their photos outside of Buckingham Palace. Having been grown up in that kind of like area, we used to walk past Buckingham Palace and not really think anything of it. And yet you've got people that are coming all this way fascinated with this monarchy. In many respects, it's actually quite similar to the time when God's people first decided that they wanted a king. Because they actually decided that they wanted a king because that's what everyone else was doing. And it was God's people that actually came to the prophet Samuel and basically said, give us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They were looking across at the nations around us, them, and despite the special relationship that they had with God, they thought, we would like to have a king to rule over us like that. And God, in his grace, even though they had essentially then rejected the essence of this special relationship that they had with God, he said to Samuel, let them have what they want. If they want a king to rule over their life, then let them have a king. But he did say to warn them, though. He said to warn them of the way that the king would rule over them. 
And then he went on to say to Samuel, who delivered this message to God's people, that the king he will take from them. And he went through and he progressively explained how he will take and he'll take and he'll take until ultimately they will be like slaves to the king. Slaves in a way which looked back to the time that they were under slavery under the Egyptians that king had just, that God had just saved them from. And yet God warned them that every freedom that they had been given by God would be taken away until there would be nothing left, until they would be slaves. And then God's people in reply to that said, even so, we would still like a king like the other nations. Well, for those that know the ending to that story, which we will come to, I think you need to be careful what you wish for. And certainly, even with God's warning to his people, they really needed to be careful for what they wished for. And in many respects, I think that is an important message when we come to Christmas. Because Christmas is a time so often of asking for things as well as giving things. This year, for our family on Rachel's side, um, we decided that we would go through and do a secret Santa list. And I don't know if many of you are doing that. And it's, it's a really good way of being able to limit the amount of presents that you have to pay when the families keep growing because all of us of my generation keep having more and more children. And so for this secret Santa list, we write down what it is that we want and then people will hopefully get us exactly what we want. And I thought, well, that's brilliant. So I got my list, and I thought, I'm going to put on the most upgraded MacBook Pro possible, and I would be delighted if I were to get that. Now, it's a little over the budget, because our budget is 50 euros, because we've got people from different places. But who knows, if they love me, then they might really get that for me. So if I have a shiny new MacBook Pro, you know that whoever my secret Santa is really likes me. Um, but the thing about these gifts, quite often, is that they often have a catch to them as well. Because although I'm joking, and I know that I'm not going to receive a MacBook Pro this Christmas, well, if I did, I would actually be super excited about that, and I would be delighted. But then would my family be so delighted if then I spent the rest of Christmas Day setting up my new computer? I didn't see them all of Christmas Day because I was so excited over it. Because that's often the catch, isn't it, with things like technology, is so often now the familiar scene is happening where people are sitting together around the table. They're in close proximity to each other. It might be in the living room, but they're spending their time on the technology. That technology, although it gives us so much, we do find that it's also a big influence on the breakdown of relationships within families if it's used in a way that can overwhelm people's lives. Another example that I saw in the news quite recently is alcohol. 
some of us might think, well, it'd be really nice to have a nice bottle of whiskey or whatever else it would be for Christmas. Nothing wrong with that as a gift in itself. But then sadly, and I'm sure many of you saw this, in the news we had about the man who was in Norfolk who had been driving and he was so drunk that he drove and didn't realize that he drove into two women who were walking down a pavement, killing one of the women who was only 20 years old. He then went on, carried on driving and crashed and then the police came to sort out the situation. And I think it was several hours after the event that he was three times over the limit. Here's another example of something which we can look forward to, which in moderation is okay, and yet we can find that it has a tendency to take. And then yesterday, as I was reading through the news again, a really big example sort of struck me. This example talked about how the UK industry of gambling is the largest industry within the whole world. So the UK being such a small country across the whole world, the amount of money that the UK makes out of gambling is the largest amount. That is staggering when you compare that to a country like the US, which is full of so many states, and yet in the UK, our gambling industry is actually even greater than the total amount that they make there. Largely, this is caused because of the rise of online gambling. And over a three-year period, the UK amount of loss to gambling, so this is the amount that people have lost through gambling, on the online gambling, rose from 27 million to 2.66 billion in three years. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? The effect that online gambling has had on that industry, but then the effect that that would have had on the lives of so many people. Because isn't that the ultimate wish? To gamble, to wish for the prize. And yet, you discover that for so many people, it just takes from them. The poll had also found that 36,000 people in the UK between the ages of 11 to 16 fall under the category of being addicted to gambling. And this is often through, sadly, a lot of the games that we play which have gambling just introduced into them through things like the iPads and Androids and things like that. Sadly, around 8% of all people that take their own lives is due to having a gambling debt of some kind that they no longer are able to face. And if they don't take it that far, so many relationships, so many marriages, so many families are constantly being disrupted and broken due to the impact of gambling. In all of these different examples, 
we have examples where there are so many things that we might wish for, and yet we often find that they just take, they take, and they take from us. For so many things, they actually take more than what they actually give. And God, when we look back to God's people, God was also reminding his people of that risk. What happens when people try to fill that God-shaped hole within their hearts with other things other than God? Because all of these things, they will give some things, but ultimately God tells us that they're going to take sometimes more than what they give. And yet God's people, as I said, they thought that they were missing out on something. And so they asked for a king. And so they chose their king. And they chose King Saul. And he was kind of like the typical person that you would choose to be a king. It said that he was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else within the land. King Saul was everything that you would picture about a king. Not only was he tall and he was handsome, he was a great warrior. He's a kind of king that would have been impressive compared to the other nations. And yet, as God had warned, it was a sad story with King Saul. Because although he reluctantly agreed to be king, and he came on to be a great warrior who won many battles on behalf of God's people, over time it showed that he was lacking the spiritual qualities that was needed for a king. He consistently failed to be obedient to the word of God until Saul was eventually rejected by God God said to the prophet Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul to be king. He has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my commands. Over time, Saul grew to become unbalanced. He became consumed with jealousy of the person whom he suspected would become his successor, David. In many respects, David was perhaps more closer to the king that God's people needed. He was, after all, described by God as the king after his own heart. And while Saul, when he was chosen to be the first king of God's people, he was chosen for his prowess as a warrior, his looks. Well, David was chosen by God. And David was getting his training in the fields with the animals, in the wilderness. He was a shepherd. David was out looking after the cattle of his family. He would literally be learning what it means as a shepherd to rule in such a way that you give yourself rather than take things from those that you're ruling over. The role of a shepherd was instrumental in that. As we think about what it would have been like to be in the wilderness, 
been the only defense between you and the cattle. At night, the shepherds would often find a place that they would be able to keep the animal safe, and then the shepherds would literally sleep across the enclosure or the front of a cave, putting their lives in front of the sheep because they were the livelihood for that family. These were the kind of qualities that David was building up. This was the kind of person that God chose to be the king of Israel. God said that whilst the people look at the external qualities, God looks at the heart. And when he looked at David's heart, he saw somebody that was after his own heart. I think we can get a sense of David's heart in the massive contribution that he made to the Psalms. So many of the Psalms are full with a rich sort of description of David's own faith in God. One of them, particularly Psalm 27, he says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, and meditating in his temple. So here we have two kings. We have King Saul, who was chosen by the people, and yet he wasn't the king that they needed. Then we had King David, who was chosen by God for the people. And in many respects, David was such a better king for God's people because his heart yearned for God. It was through David's heart for God that he was able to lead the people forward. And yet, even in King David, we found that he ultimately wasn't the king that they needed. Because again, as David lived his life, his humanity came through and his fallenness and broken nature. And David, time and again, despite yearning to be obedient to God, he failed God. If you look through his life, you'll realize that he led people to be killed over his own Um, longing for another person, Bathsheba. We find out that in David's life, that although he strived to be the kind of king that God wanted him to be, that ultimately he still wasn't able quite to achieve that. Certainly he was closer than Saul, but he still wasn't able to be the kind of king that we needed. And over time, this became clear for God's people. Because they realized, as they weren't delivered by their kings, as they went back into a time of uncertainty, they realized that the king that they needed, he wasn't here yet. But they heard word of such a king. It was during the time of the prophets like Isaiah that the word of this king became to come through more clearly. It was the prophet Isaiah and other prophets which spoke of a Messiah, 
a coming king. A king that would be of the line of the kings that the people chose, of King David, and yet the king that they were needing. Isaiah spoke about this when he said that the government will rest on this Messiah's shoulders and that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and that his government and its peace will never end, that he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. You see, when you hear this, and you think about the history, the experience that God's people had had with the kings that they'd already experienced, then you could see how they were hanging on to the hope that they were finally going to receive that king that they dreamed of. Because they asked God for a king, and yet the king they chose just wasn't quite able to live up to his expectations. And even in David, after a while, they found that his kingdom still didn't quite fully establish what they imagined it would mean to be having a king. And yet God has said to allow him to do that, that they can ask for a king and that he would give them one. And amazingly, I think there's something within God's character that there was always that element that he was going to fulfill that promise. It was in Luke's gospel that Jesus said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? God's people had asked God for a king. They'd asked for a king to rule over them. And in doing that and looking over the other nations... They wanted the king to also be like them. Well, what if God became one of us because we asked him to be one of us? What if God met us at our level so that we could fully understand who he is and what he is for? What if we learned through his life that whenever others couldn't resist the temptation to take, that he didn't? What if he learned that he literally was led out into the wilderness and the whole world was laid out in front of him and they said he was tempted with, take this, as you're right. What if we learn through his life what it means that God values everyone? 
What if we see through his life that in all of the people that he met, in all of the people that he ministered to, that he always lifted them up? That he lifted up the downtrodden. He lifted up the abused, the oppressed. Time and again, he gave his life. What if hundreds of years before, God's people had literally said to God, we would like a king to rule over us, and we want him to be like us. And our expectations of that, we didn't quite know what it was that we were asking for. And so he led us on a journey. A journey where we realized that, sadly, we're not able to do this on our own. Even the best possible specimen of a human that we can look up to is not able to achieve that, even if their heart is fully devoted to God. But what if, rather than just God saying, well, that was a good experiment, I hope you've learned your lesson, he said, no, I'm going to send you the king that you've asked for. I'm going to send you the king that you need. And what if this king demonstrated in his life that when he had given everything, that when he had, or all that he had left was his life, he gave that also. What if he demonstrated what it really means to give? Well, I think we would find that that person, that king, was the king that we needed. He may not be the king that we'd asked for. He may not even be the king that we'd expected. And he may not even be the king that we'd hoped for, which we found from God's people, but he was certainly the king that we needed. Because if somebody is going to rule over you, then you need somebody that is going to give you his life. And that was Jesus. That was the king that God's people had asked for without even necessarily realizing who they was asking for. The king is coming, and it says in Isaiah, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. It says they will rejoice as people rejoice at the harvest. For the king will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. And it says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. That was the king that God's people asked for. And that was the king that was given to us by God in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let us just pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son to be our King. We pray, Lord, that we will offer our lives to him. We pray, Lord, that as we see his great light, that we will allow that light to shine in our hearts so that it might shine on other people. We thank you for everything that Jesus represents. We thank you that he came to break the yoke of slavery and to lift the heavy burden from shoulders. And we pray, Lord, that we won't miss any opportunities to come alongside people as Jesus calls us to be a part of his work within the world. We thank you that he is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, that he is our prince of peace. Amen.